For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources opened the season on wolves for the first time since 2014. On February 15th of 2021, the Board of Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources voted on a statewide harvest objective of 200 wolves outside of tribal lands. This includes 81 tags controlled by the Ojibwe tribal members. The 200 wolf quota is set to maintain a harvestable wolf population in the state of Wisconsin, with the goal of the hunt being no net population deficit. As in, they're just trying to kill the surplus. The state of Wisconsin could have as many as 2,000 wolves spread out amongst 256 recognized packs currently calling the state home. When the last wolf hunt was held in 2014, the population was counted at just over 600 wolves, with 154 wolves taken during that season. Important to note that the wolf count numbers had declined over the course of the three consecutive hunting seasons from 2012 to 2014. But this year's hunt is occurring at a modern all-time population high and has the lowest amount of take prescribed. Wisconsin DNR had hoped to postpone this winter hunt, which is actually provided for in state law, basically saying if wolves are off the endangered species list, there will be a winter hunting season. In response to a lawsuit filed on behalf of Hunter Nation by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, the DNR set the winter season and quota, which is spread out amongst six geographical regions. Harvested wolves must be reported within 24 hours, 82 wolves were recorded after the first day of the hunt, which effectively closed zones 2 and 6. As of Wednesday, the 24th, the DNR had announced the closures of all regions. 
As of this recording, a total of 182 wolves were reported. The target number for non-tribal members was 119, with a statewide goal of 200. The state of Wisconsin offered 4,000 winter wolf hunting licenses, which were obtained through a draw in which over 20,000 people applied. The 4,000 licensed hunters were then able to legally target wolves within the season and before the quota or target harvest numbers for each region were met. I would like to see the official breakdown of successful harvest methods. Trapping, hound hunting, baiting, and traditional firearms were all legal means of take for this season. If I were a betting man, I would wager that the trappers, followed by the baiters and the houndsmen and the lucky shots, is how this horse race came in. Wolves within the Great Lakes states are technically over-objective by population number and distribution. The debate that remains is, are they doing well enough to maintain healthy, diverse populations in the future? The wolf may as well be a fur-covered ping-pong ball as many times as it's crossed the net between federal and state management. On the state side of things, populations are managed by the states, and hunting, as in this case, is a management option, a tool in the bag, and a big revenue source. All proceeds from this wolf hunt, the 20,000-plus application fees, the licenses and tag sales for the 4,000 who went wolf hunting, will go to conflict mitigation funds. Anecdotally, if you were worried about the ease in which wolves were harvested in this shorter-than-advertised Wisconsin hunting season, This is similar to what we saw when seasons were opened here in Montana and Idaho. After not being hunted, wolves adjust their boundaries. They like running roads and road kill. They get a little bold and curious. After a hunting season or two, they readjust those boundaries, just as the elk did here in Montana and Idaho. All in all, this situation seems pretty darn fair to me. I have spoken. This week, we've got the Texas desk unlikely invasive, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is brought to you by Steel Power Equipment. If you are starting to see broken branches, empty woodsheds, or even some skulls that need the antlers cut off poking through the snow, start thinking about picking up a fine-built-for-life steel set of loppers, pruners, blowers, or even a battery or gas-powered saw. Get your lawn, yard, and woodshed back into shape. Pronto. I uh, went over to Discovery Ski Area, that awesome little ski area located just out of Phillipsburg or Anaconda, Montana, depending on your direction of travel. This was a mountain we frequented in our younger years, and it has been maybe a decade since I've been back there. This time, skiing primarily backwards with the five-year-old nephew, I got to tell you, parents, dressing for skiing with kids is uh, very different. I froze my butt off. It was a great weekend. Had me wishing to do a bit more skiing. But when I got home, I had a package that showed up and it was chock full of the new turkey calls from Phelps Game Calls. And all of the sudden, I started looking beyond ski season to spring. Spring fishing, mushroom picking, maybe a bear hunt, definitely turkeys. In order to prepare, I'm going to get my smoker and the meat slicer out and knock out a big batch of lunch meat from last year's birds. Maybe even a big open-faced mashed potatoes underneath gravy on top turkey sando. Of course, before I get to that, St. Patrick's Day is right around the corner. 
and I have a whole buffalo tongue frozen in brine just for that occasion. My freezer is divided, it seems, by season. While we were on this topic, I just recently melted down a pile of chilies into a beautiful, smoky, spicy gravy. I cooked perch and walleye fillets in this, as well as mule deer shoulder and elk shank, made a pile of very tough-to-beat tacos. Moving on. People across the country are still reeling from the recent deep freeze and resulting utility failures. For those of you looking for a way to help our Texas neighbors, go to www.feedingtexas.org to support food banks. The cold has caused havoc for wildlife as well as humans. Off the coast of Texas, sea turtles were among the thousands of species that underwent a phenomenon known as cold stunning. Because turtles are reptiles, they can't regulate their body temperature. And so, when the water temp in the Gulf started going down, the metabolism of the turtles went with it. At about 50 degrees, turtles lose the use of their muscles, and their brain function goes down. They become effectively paralyzed. In this state, they're defenseless against predators and vulnerable to drowning. It might seem surprising that an animal that spends so much time underwater could drown, but sea turtles require a pretty high degree of athleticism just to breathe. They swim up to the water's surface, exhale forcefully, then take a big deep breath, all in just a few seconds. A single inhale lets them spend several minutes underwater. But in the cold, they can't do any of this. So a team of volunteers sprang into action. Researchers, students from Texas A&M, wardens from Texas Parks and Wildlife, groups dedicated to sea turtle conservation, as well as just a bunch of regular civilians who themselves were struggling without electricity, running water, and fresh food. They got in boats and walked the shorelines from South Padre Island near the border with Mexico all the way up to Galveston. The volunteers pulled the turtles out of the frigid water and got them into warmer surroundings. According to the Houston Chronicle, by February 18th, there were more than 4,750 turtles in the South Padre Island Convention Center alone, which would be the only convention worth going to. And, my friends, I have been to a lot of conventions. I can't imagine what the cocktail hour was like, but I would have liked to have been there. Oh, it's awesome, Jelly Man. This was the biggest cold-stunning event in history, with an estimated 8,000 turtles affected. The last record was 4,613 turtles stunned in Florida in 2010, which, coincidentally, I was down there fishing at that time, which kind of sums up my luck for going to the ocean and fishing. Part of the reason the numbers were so high this time is because of the recovery sea turtles have made in the last several years. More turtles means more stunned turtles in an event like this. But without these volunteers, all of that progress could have been wiped out in just a few days. And while the losses were severe, one rescue group was able to rescue 60 turtles, but counted 75 who had already died. It could have been much, much worse. Biologists are hopeful that the remaining population can continue in healthy numbers in the future. By Monday of this week, volunteers were returning turtles to the Gulf after keeping them warm in all manner of vessels, from kiddie pools and plastic storage bins to regular old blue tarps spread on the floor. Scientists with A&M's Gulf Center for Sea Turtle Research, vets from the Houston Zoo, and other local conservation groups put each turtle through a series of movement tests to make sure they could hack it in the water. Lord knows what the turtles were thinking at that point. You teaching me to swim? You deciding if I can swim? Anyway, 
Then groups of turtles were taken by a boat several miles offshore to get back to their regular routine, we hope. Any decent biologist never lets a good crisis go to waste, so several turtles were also fitted with tracking devices so we can follow their future movements and migration. This is one bright spot during a pretty miserable time. Of course, the sea turtle is a charismatic example of North America's reptile species. Makes me worry for the fate of the less lovable but still critical species that people weren't rushing to save. For those of you worried about what the freeze might do to our favorite game species, turkeys, white-tailed deer in particular, don't worry too much. Both species are well adapted to survive the cold, and vulnerable offspring won't be born until later in the spring. Unfortunately, species we don't like, like ticks, are also likely to weather the cold snap just fine. Quick upbeat update on legislation. As mentioned before, California black bear hunting ban has been squashed. A Georgia bill to ban archery hunting on properties under 10 acres has been beaten down. Those are a couple of wins where the voice of people just like you mattered and folks who love freedom and the outdoors and common sense won. Trust me when I say you need to treat advocacy of what you love as a second job right now. Make time and write emails and call your duly elected officials. If my home state of Montana can be an example, this legislative session is an embarrassing dumpster fire and you have got to pay attention and make your voices heard. Sign up for free newsletters from Hook and Bullet Clubs, conservation groups, and see what is happening. Click on the link and read the actual bill. Right now, for instance, in Wyoming, there is legislation that would take all of the public land in that state and make it privately held and available to sell. Well, that's not good. If you want to recreate in Wyoming or any other state with public land, this is pertinent. This matters to you. That's House Bill 141, and their legislative session convenes Monday, March 1st, likely the day you are listening to this podcast. Get active, be involved, or don't complain. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it, and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to a new segment I like to call Canadian Cufflinks. Vancouver, British Columbia has decided to officially cede the crown jewel of parks, Stanley Park, to coyotes. Recently, a triathlete running amongst a group through the thousand acre plus park that borders downtown Vancouver was bitten on the leg by a coyote, which is reportedly the 15th time runners or bikers have reported coyote conflict within the park. In response, the city said, we cannot identify the offending coyote as all coyotes look the same so it is only fair that nobody go into the park. It belongs to the coyotes now. Let's hope they don't move further into the city. Now, that's not a verbatim quote, but if you find that funny, the truth is even more entertaining. The triathlete mentioned how lucky it was that his firm triathlete's calf was the target of the coyote and not that of a soft-fleshed child. Sure, guy. Of the 15 attacks, 12 of the bites have been considered serious. So, let's get serious with a direct quote, courtesy of CTV News. We're looking at a bigger solution here and trying to understand all what's going on and the contributing factors. One theory, people are feeding the coyotes, so they expect to receive food from humans and become aggressive if they don't get it. I wouldn't put it past them to move into the city now if they're coming right onto the seawall. You know what they say, Vancouver residents. When there's blood in the streets... Buy real estate. Good luck. Elsewhere in British Columbia, a lynx that was raiding a farmer's chicken coop was not given the chickens or the coop by the owner. It was in fact put in a headlock of sorts or cufflinks. Huh? It's already overused, isn't it? Yes! Anyway, Chris Paulson. A northern BC farmer caught a lynx literally by the scruff of its neck as it attempted to kill his chickens. By the time Paulson arrived, the cat had killed two. He then pointed out the destruction to the cat, gave it a quick lecture, put it in a dog crate, and relocated it. He regrets this move. Moving a little further north to Yellowknife, a dog-walking couple was attacked by a lynx. Instead of giving the lynx their dog, keys to the house, car, etc., Shania Tim Chatton jumped on the lynx, separating her dog, which she threw to her boyfriend, and continued to hold cufflink style. Still working on it. No! For a reported 20 minutes. Have you ever tried to subdue any cat 
of any size that does not want to be held, this is no easy feat. Here's a quote. By this time, I felt like it was a long time just sitting there, and my knees were starting to get cold from being crushed into the snow, and my head was hurting from having such a strong grip on this lynx. Her neighbor responded in true Canada fashion with a set of lacrosse sticks and was able to block Shania from possible attack after she released the lynx. That's reported by CBC Canada. Uh, Vancouver, you listening to any of this? They, uh, they make them a little tougher in the bush, don't they? The Canada lynx can get up to almost two feet tall at the shoulder and just shy of 40 pounds, but are commonly found under 30 pounds. Moving on to the Florida desk. Regular listeners to Cal's Week in Review might have become jaded about news of invasive species in the Florida Everglades. Nile crocodiles, old news. Mexican spiny-tailed iguanas, yawn. Burmese pythons. How many times do we have to hear about Burmese pythons? But, my friends, we have never covered the arapaima, a fish that recently turned up in the Caloosahatchee River near Fort Myers, Florida. Native to the rivers of the Amazon Basin in South America, the arapaima is one of the largest freshwater fish in the world, sometimes growing as large as 15 feet and over 400 pounds. Arapaimas are air breathers, which means that in addition to taking oxygen in from the water through the gills, they can also swim to the surface and inhale air the way a mammal would. This lets them survive in water with extremely low oxygen content, even in stagnant pools that get cut off from rivers in the dry season. When all the other fish begin to suffocate and die, the arapaima can just feed on them at their leisure while getting plenty of oxygen directly from the air. This makes them very well suited to many rivers and lakes in Florida where high temperatures and algae blooms can starve the water of oxygen. So let's do a checklist of our successful invasive species attributes. Are they voracious eaters? Yes. Their mouths are so big that they create a vacuum when they open it, pulling in multiple prey fish at a time. They can also leap out of the water to grab birds, lizards, fruit, anything they can fit in their mouths. There have been documented cases of arapaimas even snatching small primates out of low-hanging trees. So watch your children, Floridians. In fact, according to a paper published in the journal Nature in 2019, their appetite and muscle-building ability give arapaima the fastest known growth rate of any freshwater fish on the planet. Okay, what's next? Are there no native species that could effectively prey on them? Uh, check. If arapaima were saltwater fish, maybe we could hope for predation from sharks or other large species, but in rivers and lakes, the arapaima is going to be the head honcho. Okay, before we go on tearing our hair out over the damage arapaimas could do, let's note a couple things that are just really cool about them. Arapaima are paternal mouth brooders, which means that the males of the species hold tens of thousands of fertilized eggs in their mouths, not able to eat until the eggs are old enough to hatch. So for all those human dads listening out there, all you parents that are complaining about still having the kids at home because of COVID this and that, getting frustrated about getting old Junior into the car seat right now, at least you don't have to carry the little tykes around in your lip, starving yourself until they can go out and get groceries on their own. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Uh, anything else? Arapaima are tasty. They grow fast, they taste good, they hang out close to the surface of the water. 
arapaima elsewhere are easy targets and are relentlessly hunted across their native range. That, along with the severe habitat loss, means that they're seriously threatened in places they're actually supposed to be. What does this mean for Florida? So far, we've only found one arapaima here, and that was Deb. But does anyone, considering the history of invasives in Florida, want to put money on that being the only one? The species was introduced by anglers for sport fishing in Thailand and Malaysia, so I'm betting that some bonehead decided to bring them to Florida as well. I guess we're going to have to cross our fingers that they haven't spread too far already. Unlike that other scourge of the Everglades, the Burmese python, coincidentally a 16-foot-long python was recently pulled out of a drainage pipe southeast of Tampa, carrying more than 100 eggs. The arapaima is easy to see, so if they do propagate successfully in Florida, they could be easy targets. Side note here, observation rather. Florida is quickly becoming the surrogate travel destination for several parts of the globe. This could revitalize the travel agent business. Want to see Argentinian tegu lizards devouring crocodile nests, but hate those customs lines? We'll redirect you to the appropriate location in Florida for a nominal fee. Arapaima on your list, but you can't go without Chick-fil-A, so the Amazon is out? Welcome to Fort Myers! That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. And most importantly, write in and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access to your populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.